order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Before I call the Honourable Member for High Peak to ask question one, I should inform the House that the text of the closed question tabled by the Honourable Gentleman, the Member for Lichfield, relating to economic performance and public services in the West Midlands, question five, has in error been omitted from the printed copies of the order paper. A corrigendum, that is a wonderfully clerkly word, if I may say so. A corrigendum has been made available in the vote office and copies are on the table. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Ruth George. Thank you. Question number one. The Prime Minister. Mr. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in offering condolences to the family, friends and colleagues of Police Constable James Dixon from Thames Valley Police, who was killed while on motorcycle duty yesterday, and also to the family and friends of the passenger in the car involved in the collision. I'm sure the whole House will also wish to join me in offering condolences to the family and friends of the former member of this House, Jim Hood, who uh, was a former miner and a strong voice for Lanarkshire in this place for nearly 30 years. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Ruth George. Thank you. My constituent Kate has run a successful nursery for over 14 years, but after two months on the government's funding for three and four-year-olds, she says she can't make it work. She's having to sell her home to pay her staff redundancy. Over a thousand nurseries have already closed and 58% say they can't continue. If nurseries close, parents can't work. Please will the Prime Minister meet with me and nursery owners to discuss such widespread and critical problems. Well, I can say to the Honourable Lady that I have indeed recently met with some nursery owners uh, looking at this issue, and they've given a very clear message that actually there are parts of the country where local authorities are operating this system very efficiently and very well, and there are parts of the country where that is not happening. Of course, what underpins this is the decision taken by this Government to improve the childcare offer for parents so that they actually have a better opportunity and ensure that their children get into the childcare they need. Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, will the Prime Minister give a quick update on the Brexit negotiations? And does she agree with me that post Brexit <laughs> it's absolutely crucial that we enhance skills and apprenticeships in the construction and housing sector? And does she agree that now is not the time for the Construction Industry Training Board to be proposing to close their site at Birdsham in West Norfolk, thus putting at risk 600 jobs in a rural area? Will she meet me to discuss this, and will she help me in my campaign? Well, can I say to my honourable friend that uh, he's a great champion for his constituency. He's uh, been a great uh, supporter of the CITB at Bircham. I'm very happy to support his campaign. I wish him well. I'm happy to meet with him. He asked about Brexit, and of course, what 
what we are doing in the Brexit negotiations is ensuring that we can indeed build those houses and build that country for the future that we want to see. And the principles that we are working to are that the text that is currently being discussed is a report on the progress of the negotiations, on which basis the European Commission will decide whether sufficient progress has been made and we can move on to the next stage of talks. And it's for those future talks to agree precisely how we ensure cross-border trade while maintaining the constitutional integrity of the United Kingdom. We're leaving the European Union, we're leaving the single market and the customs union, but we will We will do what is right in the interests of the whole of the United Kingdom. And nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I joined the Prime Minister in condolences to the police officer and the passenger who lost their lives in this tragic event yesterday. I also joined the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the late Jimmy Hood, who represented Clydesdale and later Lanark and Hamilton East. He was a good friend of all of ours, and he was a great fighter for the coal industry and the mine workers' union during the strike and after that during his time here. We thank Jimmy for his work for the Labour movement. Mr Speaker, in July, the International Trade Secretary said Brexit negotiations would be the easiest in human history. (laughs) Does the Prime Minister still agree with that assessment? Well, I'm very pleased to report to the Right Honourable Gentleman, as I've just said, negotiations are in progress, and very good progress has been made in those negotiations. What my right honourable friend has been focusing on is the trade negotiations for the future. And indeed, because we are already a member of the European Union, when we leave, we will not be at the same basis uh, in relationship with them as, say, Canada was in negotiating a trade agreement. And therefore, we do expect that we'll be able to get the deal that is right for the whole United Kingdom. What we need to do to be able to do that is to move on to phase two. And if he's so concerned about easy negotiations, why did his MEPs vote against enabling us to do that? Mr Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister could always look behind herself. One, uh, but Mr Speaker, she hasn't, um, she hasn't succeeded in convincing many people. And yesterday, one Tory donor told the papers, and I quote, Yesterday proved beyond doubt that the Prime Minister is not only weak, but it's her incompetence that's hobbling the UK. And he wasn't very kind about the rest of her friend front bench either, describing them as a bunch of jellyfish masquerading as a cabinet. <laughs> Mr Speaker, this is, this is truly a coalition, this is truly a coalition of chaos. At the start of the week it all seemed to be going so well. The Prime Minister had scheduled a lunch with Jean-Claude Juncker, followed by a press conference, and then to triumphantly return to the House to present her deal. Order, order, let me make it clear for the umpteenth time. No, order. I know what's going on. I'm grateful to the Honourable Gentleman for Bowles over, but I can look after these matters. No one in this chamber, 
is going to be shouted down. It will not happen. And if people think they can sit where I can't see them and make a raucous noise, they're very foolish. I know where they are and I know what they're up to. And it isn't going to work. End of subject. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. But uh, on her way back to Britain, someone forgot to share the details of the Irish border detail deal with the DUP. Surely, Mr. Speaker, there are one and a half billion reasons why the Prime Minister really shouldn't have forgotten to do that. I think, I think it was a little difficult to detect the question that there was within that, uh, that interruption. But let me say to the right honourable gentleman, as President uh, Juncker said on Monday, there are still a couple of things that we're negotiating on. And he is, he is confident. He is confident that we will be able to achieve sufficient progress. But if he wants to wonder about plans for negotiations, perhaps he should look at his own front bench. The shadow Chancellor used to say staying in the single market was not respecting the referendum. Now he says it's on the table. The shadow Brexit Secretary, sorry, the shadow Trade Secretary, used to say staying in the customs union was deeply unattractive. Now he says it isn't off the table. Now I think they are, we now know from the Shadow Chancellor what their approach really is. It's not having a plan at all. Because when asked what the Labour Party plan was, the Shadow Chancellor said, well, that's difficult for us. As we all know, the only thing the Labour Party is planning for is a run on the pound. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister was unable to support her Brexit secretary when he tried to explain that a, detail, a deal was supposed to be done in October but still hasn't been done by December. The leader of the DUP told Irish Television she only got sight of the deal on Monday morning, five weeks after she first asked for it. Two months after the original deadline for the first phase of talks and after Monday's shambles, is the Prime Minister now, now able to end the confusion and clearly outline what the Government's position is now with regard to the Irish border? I'm very happy to outline the position that I've taken on the Irish border with uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, it is exactly the same position that I took in the Lancaster House speech, that I took in the Florence speech, that we have taken consistently in the negotiations, which is that we will ensure that there is no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. We will do that while we respect the constitutional integrity of the United Kingdom we respect the internal market and protect the internal market of the United Kingdom. And those Labour members who shout, how? That's the whole point of the second phase of the negotiations. When we, because we will deliver this, we aim to deliver this as part of our overall trade deal between the United Kingdom and the European Union. And we can only talk about that when we get into phase two. We have a plan, he has none. Jeremy Corbyn! 
18 months after the referendum, the Prime Minister is unable to answer the question. And on, and on Monday, and on Monday, as she, as she thought she was coming here to make a statement, it was vetoed by the, by the leader of the DUP. The tail really is wagging the dog here. Mr Speaker, the Brexit Secretary told the BBC's Ma programme in June, it's my, in my job, I don't think out loud and I don't make guesses. I try and make decisions. You make those based on data. The data is being gathered. We've got 50, nearly 60 sectoral analyses already done. This House voted to see those analyses. But today, the Brexit Secretary told the Select Committee they actually don't exist. Well, can the Prime Minister put us out of our misery? Do they exist or don't they? Have they done the work or haven't they? That is surely one question she can answer after 18 months. Can I, can I, can I make a, a gentle suggestion to the Leader of the Opposition? He asked me a question on the Northern Irish border. I answered the question. He then stood up and said I hadn't answered the question. Perhaps he should listen to the answers that I gave. The, the House requested, as I understand it, 58 sectoral impact assessments. There were no 58 sectoral impact assessments. There was sectoral analysis. Over 800 pages of sectoral analysis has been published and made available to the Select Committee, and arrangements have been made available for members of this House to see it. We are very clear that we will not give a running commentary on negotiations as we proceed, but what we will do, what we will do is work for what this country wants. We will ensure we leave the European Union in March 2019. We will leave the internal market, we will leave the customs union at the same time, and we will ensure there is no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland when we do it. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, this really is a shambles. All they've done... All they've done is offered a heavily redacted, abbreviated version which has not been widely shared. And the Brexit Secretary said in September, Mr Speaker, that £50 billion divorce payment was complete nonsense. The Foreign Secretary rejected any payment and said the EU could go whistle. So can the Prime Minister put before the House a fully itemised account that could be independently audited by the Office of Budget Responsibility and the National Audit Office on any proposed payment? Because we haven't actually, we're at the point of progressing on to the next stage. Nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, so the final settlement won't be agreed until we've actually got the whole of the deal agreed. But I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, he's asked me questions earlier about hard borders. You know, half the Labour Party wants to stay in the single market, half the Labour Party wants to leave the single market. The only hard border around is right down the middle of the Labour Party. Mr Speaker, 18 months since the referendum, no answers to the questions. 
Today, they haven't yet concluded phase one, no answers to the questions, and the DUP appear to be ruling the roost and telling her what to do. Mr Speaker, whether it's Brexit, the National Health Service, social care, our rip-off railways, rising child poverty, growing pensioner poverty or universal credit, this government, this government is unable to solve important issues facing this country. In fact, it's making them worse. The economy is slowing, more people in poverty, Brexit negotiations in a shambles. This government is clearly not fit for the future. If they can't negotiate a good deal, wouldn't it be better if they just got out of the way? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, week in and week out, he comes to this House making promises that he knows he can't deliver. And they keep doing it. At the election, he told students they would write off their student debt. Then he said, I did not commit to write off the debt. But what are the Labour Party doing? They're putting round leaflets which say Labour will cancel existing student debt. It's time, it's time the right honourable gentleman apologise for grossly misleading Labour leaflets. Closed question, Mr. Michael Fabricant. Question five. I'm pleased to say that employment in the West Midlands has risen by 198,000 since the 2010 election. And in the budget, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, confirmed people living and working in the West Midlands will benefit from second devolution deal and a £250 million allocation for regional transport projects. Michael Fabricant. Mr Speaker, the devolution deal, the budget and now the establishment of the National Battery R&D Centre in the West Midlands puts the whole region at the very heart of European autonomous drive and electric drive cars. So, will my right honourable friend commit to continue to support this important industry and will she make a very important promise to me? Yes. Will she get rid of that gas guzzler Jaguar of hers in number 10 Downing Street and get a modern Jaguar, an electric one, from the West Midlands? Because we're the party of the future, not the old Labour dinosaurs opposite. Perhaps I could just let my honourable friend know that sadly the Jaguar in number 10 Downing Street is not mine. Right, so it's, uh, but my honourable friend is absolutely right that the West Midlands is at the heart of this important industry. We are investing £31 million in the West Midlands for the development of testing infrastructure for connected and autonomous vehicles and will also build on the West Midlands expertise in self-driving cars as we invest a further £5 million into an initial 5G uh, testbed. And I certainly look forward to seeing this technology developing further. Yeah. Ian Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister regarding the late Jimmy Hood and pass on condolences on these benches to his family and friends? I'm sure the House will want to join me in welcoming Billy Irving, one of the Chennai Six, who's arrived back in Scotland this morning. Yeah. 
Mr Speaker, so now we know that the deal that was done with the DUP to keep the Prime Minister in office gave the DUP a veto over Brexit. It is embarrassing that it was being briefed on Monday morning that the Prime Minister had a deal only to take this off the table after a call with the DUP. Is this the Prime Minister who is in office but not in power? What, uh, what we are doing is working for a deal that will work for the whole of the United Kingdom. There are particular circumstances for Northern Ireland because it is the one part of the United Kingdom that shares a land border with a country that will be remaining in the European Union. But as we look ahead and as, uh, during the negotiations, as the Honourable Gentleman will know, we are consulting and talking with all, all parts of the United Kingdom, with the Welsh Government and the uh, Scottish Government, and we want to ensure that we get the right deal for the UK. And that's the deal that I've set out. We'll be leaving the, the uh, European Union, we'll be leaving the single market, we'll be leaving the customs union, but we will ensure that we get that good trade deal for the future. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, the clock is ticking and we need a deal that keeps us in the single market and the customs union. To do otherwise will devastate our economy and cost jobs. Will the Prime Minister recognise that such a deal will resolve the Irish border question and protect jobs throughout the UK? Anything less will be a failure of leadership. No, I have to say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that he continues to bark up the wrong tree. We're leaving the European Union. That means we will be leaving the single market and leaving the customs union. We will take back and we will ensure that we can do trade deals around the rest of the world. And that will be important for us, and it's important in, he references jobs, it will be important in ensuring jobs in this country. And we will get a good deal on trade and security, because this isn't just about trade for our future relationship. I set out in my Florence speech the deep and special partnership we want to continue to have with the European Union. That is about a trade deal that ensures jobs and prosperity across the whole of the United Kingdom. I just politely observe that the front bench exchanges have absorbed a disproportionately large share of time, but I'm determined to accommodate backbenchers who are waiting to ask their questions. Mr Alex Chalk. Mr Speaker. The bottleneck on the A417 continues to cause dreadful accidents as well as traffic misery in Gloucestershire. Now, following the leadership of the Transport Secretary and the support of Gloucestershire Honourable Members, the vital consultation stage of the shortlisted improvement proposals will begin shortly. Does my right honourable friend back the scheme and does she agree that by committing hundreds of millions of pounds for this crucial project, this government is backing the Gloucestershire economy? Thank you. I know my honourable friend has been working tirelessly on this particular issue and I understand the concerns and frustrations uh, that drivers in his constituency and elsewhere uh, uh, have about this vital strategic road for not just Gloucestershire but the wider region as well. I'm happy to assure him that we are backing the development of the multi-million pound air balloon roundabout scheme which was announced in 2014. A consultation will begin shortly so we can develop the right solution to tackle this pinch point and continue this support which, as he says, is good for the whole of Gloucestershire's economy. Please, Haig. The Prime Minister has been unable to provide us with a single plausible Brexit scenario that will meet her red lines um, and be acceptable to her Cabinet, to Ireland and the DUP. Isn't it therefore time that she either dropped her red lines, the DUP, or the pretense that she can govern this country? 
Honourable Lady, she's just completely wrong. This government has published a number of documents which set out the various options that can be taken forward in relation to the trade relationship for the future, that address the whole question of the customs relationship in relation to customs, that would address the issue of the Northern Ireland border. We've already published those proposals. They're not part in detail. Those details are not part of the negotiations at the moment. They will become part of the negotiations when we move on to phase two. Peter Bone. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. When the uh, British people voted to leave the European superstate, they voted to end the free movement of people. They voted to stop sending billions and billions of pounds to the EU each and every year. And they voted to make our laws in our own country judged by our own judges. Prime Minister, are we on course still to deliver that? And if we have a problem, would it help if I came over to Brussels with you to sort them out? Well, I'm, I'm, I say to my honourable friend, I'm always happy to spend time in his company, uh, and uh, I hope his petition on chicken farms went down well the, uh, the other evening. But the answer is yes, we are on course to deliver what the people of this country voted for when they voted to leave the European Union. John Rogan! Will the Prime Minister support new Transpennine rail links, namely High Speed uh, 3, but also the restoration of the Skipton Cone link, which, as well as providing an economic boost to Pennine towns, has the additional merit of starting in the Government Chief's Whip's constituency? <laughs> Well, can I say to uh, the Honourable Gentleman that we are, of course, looking very seriously and have been um, supportive of this concept in relation to the Trans-Pennine Railway. We're waiting, as I understand it, for specific proposals to be brought forward and, of course, we'll look at those proposals very seriously. So, Mike Penning. Thank you, Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House is aware that 40 years ago today this House came together and voted for a new charity the Motability Charity, which has transformed the lives of disabled people and their families. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that the success that was started by Lord Goodman when he was Chairman and now by Lord Stanley should be carried forward and it gives a golden opportunity for disabled people to get into the workplace and enjoy the things that everybody else does in this country? I'm grateful to uh, my right honourable friend for marking the 40th anniversary of Motability in this way and I'm very happy to join him in marking that and I'm looking forward to becoming a senior patron because they do do excellent work for people with disabilities, enabling them to stay mobile and active. And there are more people with a motability car today than there were in 2010. But can I also, can I also wish my right honourable friend well, as I understand he will be going to the palace tomorrow to receive his knighthood. Well reserved. Jim Shannon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, in light of the news today and the reported terrorist threat on the Prime Minister and others, can I assure her of our prayers for her and Her Majesty's Government on this side of the House yeah, and yeah. thank the security forces for their sterling efforts? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prime Minister, can, the, can you give a specific commitment that nothing will be done that creates any barrier constitutionally, politically, economically or regulatory between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Well, can, I, can I thank the, the honourable gentleman for the remarks that he, he made? Can I say to him the simple answer to his question is yes. He will know, as other members of this House will, that there are already areas where there are specific arrangements between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, for example, the single energy market that exists uh, between the Republic of Ireland and uh, Northern Ireland. 
But we want to ensure that there is no hard border. That is exactly what we are working for. We are also working to respect the constitutional integrity of the United Kingdom and protect the internal market of the United Kingdom. And I think we share those aims. Douglas Ross. The Prime Minister will be aware of a Citizens Advice Scotland report which was issued yesterday that said in Scotland up to a million consumers pay on average 30% more to have parcels delivered than the rest of the country. In my Murray constituency this is a huge issue where ridiculous prices are put on to deliver to our area and in some cases companies refuse to deliver at all. Can my right honourable friend tell me what the UK Government can do with myself to ensure we right this wrong once and for all? Uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this issue and speak up on behalf of his constituents in this way. As I am sure he knows that Royal Mail does provide a universal postal service that includes parcel services five days a week at a uni- uniform price throughout the United Kingdom. But there are commercial issues at play outside this service. Uh, but I am sure that my right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, will be happy to meet with him and discuss this issue. Ben Bradshaw. Yeah. The recognition by Donald Trump of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel will do grave damage to the prospects for a just and lasting peace settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, which has been British and indeed American foreign policy for decades. Was she consulted about this announcement? And if so, what did she say? Uh, And will she here and now unequivocally and clearly condemn it? Well, I say to the uh, right honourable gentleman that I'm intending to speak to President Trump about this uh, about this matter. But our position, our position has not changed. We, our position, as he says, has been a long-standing one, and it's also a very clear one that the status of Jerusalem should be determined as a negotiate, in a negotiated settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and Jerusalem should ultimately form a, share, form a shared capital between the Israeli and Palestinian states. That is, you know, we continue to support a two-state solution. We recognise the importance of Jerusalem, and our position on that has not changed. Vicky Ford. Uh, today, uh, Mr. Speaker, GlaxoSmithKline joined Merck, AstraZeneca, and many other companies and charities investing in British bioscience genetics. Does my right honourable friend agree that this investment in science and research underpins not only jobs but also a revolution in medical treatments, which will save lives yeah, here, here. and give hope to many patients for new treatments? Here, here, here. Well, I absolutely agree with my honourable friend, and of course, what she has highlighted is a sector which is a very important sector for the United Kingdom, and I welcome the investment that she has referred to. That is why this is one of the sectors that has been given significance in the industrial strategy that my right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, has has delivered, has published, uh, because this is exactly an area where we see there are benefits here in the UK for investment jobs in the UK, but also, as she says, for improving the treatments available to patients and improving their lives. Dr Alan Whitehead. When the Prime Minister rings uh, Donald Trump up to express our concern about uh, his moves uh, concerning Jerusalem and the US Embassy, uh, will she also be informing uh, President Trump uh, that we will be proceeding to recognise the state of Palestine as a central part of keeping the two-state process underway? 
We, we want to see a negotiated settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. We believe that should be based on a two-state solution. That should be a sovereign and viable Palestinian state, but also a secure and safe uh, Israel. And that should be a matter of ne- for negotiation between the parties. Andrew Mitchell. Mr Speaker, the whole House will support what the Prime Minister said last week in the Middle East on her visit about the unfolding humanitarian catastrophe in Yemen. Will she continue to provide the maximum amount of pressure to lift both the humanitarian and the commercial blockade and use Britain's good offices at the United Nations to secure a resumption of some sort of political peace process which is inclusive and which does not have any preconditions? Well, my right honourable friend has raised a very important issue, and I'm sure everybody across this whole House is deeply concerned at the humanitarian crisis and the, the spiralling crisis that we have seen in the Yemen and the lingering threat of famine there. I did indeed, as he said, raise my concerns when I visited Saudi Arabia last week. I made it clear that the UK's view is that we want to see not just Hodeida port opened for humanitarian vessels uh, aid to be able to get in, but it should be open for commercial vessels as well. This is absolutely uh, uh, crucial and important. And he references the need for peace talks. That is our top priority, because the best way to bring a long-term solution, the best way to bring long-term stability is to have a political solution, and we will continue to support the efforts of the UN Special Envoy and play a leading role, as he says, in diplomatic efforts to ensure that a political solution can be reached. Alan Brown. Mr Speaker, due to the £1 billion deal, the the DUP MPs revel in an analogy, each one's worth more than Ronaldo. Now, when we look at the value of Scottish Tories, we need to consider the £2.5 billion cut to Scotland's budget, the £600 million rail shortfall, the £200 million cap conversion that's been stolen, and the £140 million VAT refund we're still due. Each one of these Scottish Tories cost Scotland £265 million. Can we free transfer them? I have to say to the honourable gentleman, it's time that when he stood up for his questions, he actually looked at the facts. It's my Scottish Conservative colleagues who have ensured that in the budget, in in the budget, uh, we were able to take steps in relation to the VAT status of Police Scotland and the fire services in Scotland. And he might obviously hadn't noticed, but I'm happy to repeat to him: as a result of this budget, two billion pounds extra will come to Scotland. Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2010, the Conservative-led government set out to reform the school curriculum in order to give our children the skills they need to succeed. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that yesterday's reading standards results are a vindication of our reforms and our amazing teachers' efforts, which will allow our children to forge a truly global Britain? Well, I thank my honourable friend because she's raised a very important issue, and I'm very happy to agree with her on this. Yesterday we learnt how the UK's revolution in phonics has dramatically improved school standards and i would like to play i would like to pay particular tribute to my honourable friend the minister for school standards who has worked tirelessly onto this end uh, uh, through his time here in this house but also pay tribute to the hard work of teachers up and down the country we have and just for the figures in 2012 58% of 6 year olds passed reading checks this year, that has risen to 81%. Yeah. We are indeed building a Britain fit for the future. Yeah. 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 
Speaker. In October, the Prime Minister wrote an open letter saying EU citizens living lawfully in the UK today will be able to stay. But this week, my constituent, Francoise Milne, was told by UKVI that she had to wait until Brexit was done and then take her chances. Can the Prime Minister tell us, are the EU citizens living here just pawns in the Brexit negotiations, or will she change UKVI's operating systems to ensure EU citizens can stay? The, the position on EU citizens that I set out in the open letter that I sent is the position of the United Kingdom Government, and I suggest to the Honourable Lady, if she has a complaint about something that UKVI has said, that she sends that uh, information into the Immigration Minister. John Barron! Yesterday, yesterday, the All-Party Group on Cancer held its annual Britain Against Cancer Conference, the largest one-day gathering of the cancer community in the UK, to launch our report on the cancer strategy. We heard from the Government, NHS England, many good things that were happening. But there was one issue that is causing real concern to frontline services, and that is the delay in the release of the transformation funding to those frontline services, courtesy of an additional requirement applied to the funding after the bidding process closed. Having discussed the issue with the Secretary of State, who is a jolly chap, could I, could, would the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss this matter further? Yeah. Well, I say to uh, my, can I say to my honourable friend, of course this is an important issue, and we have, as he said, seen uh, some great progress being made in relation to this issue uh, of providing higher standards of cancer care for all patients. Survival records are now at a record high, and around 7,000 more people are surviving cancer after successful NHS treatment compared to three years ago. Of course, we want to do more in relation to this issue. He's raised a very specific point. Um, I, and I understand that the Department of Health are adopting a phased approach to investment as the National, National Cancer Programme does run for a further three years, but I'd ha be happy to meet my honourable friend to discuss this. Drew Hendry. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Contrary to our previous answer on the subject, only the Prime Minister's Government can remove barriers to universal credit for terminally ill people in Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Will she answer this question again this time? Will she end the cruel requirement for people across the UK who don't want to know they are dying to self-certify on universal credit? Yeah. Yeah. I, can I say to the honourable gentleman that I suggest that uh, this is an issue I will ask the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions to look at. We do want to ensure that, as, as he knows, we're working on how universal credit is rolled out and how that is uh, dealt with in relation to, to individuals. But I'm sure he will understand that if there are particular uh, uh, things that apply to people in particular circumstances, then they can only apply if those circumstances, if the universal credit and the job centres are aware of those circumstances. But I will ask the Department of Work and Pensions to look at this. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Before my right honourable friend next goes to Brussels, will she apply a new coat of paint to her red lines? Because I fear on Monday they were beginning to look a little bit pink. <laughs> Now I can say to my, happily say to my honourable friend that, uh, that the principles on which this government is negotiating were set out in the Lancaster House speech, they were set out in the Florence speech, and those principles remain. Yes. Karen Buck. Mr. Speaker, the, 
This morning, London MPs were briefed by the Metropolitan Police Service on the grave challenge of serious youth violence right. and violent crime, including the scourge of scooter-assisted crime. Yeah. With robberies up 30% in London, the police service in London faces a 400 million <coughs> squeeze, which will drive police numbers down to the lowest in 20 years, and my own borough has already lost 198 police officers. Does the Prime Minister still think we have the police resources we need? I, uh, as, uh, I would say to the Honourable Lender, we are not reducing the Metropolitan Police's budget. We are protecting police budgets. They were protected in the 2015 spending review. I repeat, as I've said in this House before, there's more money and more officers for each Londoner than anywhere else in the country. Of course, it is up to the Mayor of London to decide how that budget is spent. But she also raised the important issue of scooter or moped crime. And I'm pleased to say that my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has held a round table with police and others in the Home Office to look at how this can be better addressed. Breeze. The industrial strategy identifies that the world will need 60% more food by 2050. As we leave the EU, will the Prime Minister commit to supporting our farmers? Well, I'm very, very happy to commit to supporting our farmers. And uh, in fact, markets for, Brit for British food are growing around the world, and we want to see those markets grow even further. Leaving the EU means we will have an opportunity to design a new approach to agricultural policy, one that supports our farmers to grow more, to sell more, and to export more of their world-class products. Uh, products. What we will be doing is ensuring we have an agricultural policy that actually meets the needs of the United Kingdom. Adrian Bailey. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week, motor manufacturers announced a year-on-year -year drop in car sales of over 11%. They blame confusion caused by the government's incoherent policy on clean air and diesels, budget measures and uncertainty caused by Brexit. This industry is vital for both the national economy and jobs in the West Midlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the government going to do to turn this around? Yeah. I'd say to the honourable gentleman that if he had listened to the answer I gave and the questions from my honourable friend member Litchfield earlier, he would have heard how we are supporting the automotive industry, crucially supporting the future of the automotive industry. We recognise its importance for the West Midlands, we recognise its importance for the United Kingdom, and that's why it's one of those sectors that we're very clear in our industrial strategy that we will be supporting so we can port those, support those jobs and prosperity for the future. Bernard Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would my right honourable friend confirm that she is aware of the very strong enthusiasm for free trade deals with the UK from countries like Canada, Japan, the United States, Australia, and even, and even for participation in the UK participation in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But none of these opportunities will come our way if we remain shackled to EU regulation after we've left the EU. Well, I'm very happy to say to uh, my honourable friend that I do uh, recognise the enthusiasm there is out there around the rest of the world for us to do trade deals with other countries. I'm happy to say that my right honourable friend, the Trade Secretary, was in Australia recently uh, discussing just these opportunities. When I go around the world, I also hear the same message from a whole variety of countries. They want to do trade deals for us in the future. What we want to do is to ensure that we get a good trade deal with the European Union and the freedom to negotiate these trade deals around the rest of the world. Liz Savile-Roberts. 
On Monday evening, during the opening speeches of the EU withdrawal bill, the government bench showed its true colours. Revealed were the imperial British government's intentions spelled out in red, white and blue. Would the Prime Minister care to echo the Chair of the Welsh Affairs Select Committee and I quote, it is a power grab and what a wonderful power grab it is too. Or would she admit that the scrabble to repatriate powers from Brussels provides a grubby excuse to deny our democratic rights in Wales. Yes. I think the Honourable Lady knows full well that what my Honourable Friend was saying was that what we will be doing when we leave the European Union is grabbing powers back from Brussels yeah. to the United yeah. Kingdom. And that's exactly right. And following that, we will we do expect to see a significant increase in the decision-making power of devolved administrations as a result of that. And that is absolutely right. But if Plaid Cymru are saying that they want to see powers rest in Brussels, we take a different view. We want those powers to be here in the United Kingdom. Jack Brereton! Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today, shortlisted cities are making their final pitch in the campaign to be named UK City of Culture in 2021. Will the Prime Minister join me in wishing the Stoke-on-Trent team every success in their bid to see Stoke-on-Trent become the next capital of culture for Britain? Well, I've been very happy to visit Stoke-on-Trent on a number of occasions, and my honourable friend is a valiant champion for Stoke-on-Trent. Uh, and I wish them all the best. But I have to say to my honourable friend, as I have been asked about a number of other uh, bids from cities around around the United Kingdom, that I'm sure all of those cities that are bidding have extremely good cases to be recognised in this way. Thank you. 